Hello and welcome to The Hill's Digital Health Podcast. The Hill is the digital health transformation catalyst based at Oxford University Hospitals. We're working to help the NHS make the most of digital innovation. We do this in three ways. We work with innovators to help them develop their products and ideas and make them relevant to the NHS. We work with clinical teams to engage them with digital innovation, help them increase their digital skills and adopt innovation. And finally, we collaborate with partners, bringing together multiple organisations to form a digital health ecosystem. This podcast series focuses on clinical entrepreneurs, our clinical colleagues who have decided to start a business or social enterprise to develop a digital health innovation. Our guest today is Rachel Grimaldi, who is CEO and founder of Cardmedic and an NHS anaesthetist currently at Royal Surrey NHS Foundation Trust. Rachel, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honoured to be your first guest. Well, uh, you are an obvious choice, Rachel, because I don't think I've ever met anyone who is as enthusiastic about innovation, as fantastically good at uh, pushing forward a digital health innovation in such a short space of time as you have done with Cardmedic. And of course, very passionate about the NHS as well. Oh, thank you. Can you tell me a bit about Cardmedic? So can you introduce Cardmedic um, for the audience? What what service does it offer? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. That was a very, very kind introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, So Cardmedic is a website and app designed to improve communication between frontline healthcare staff and patients across any barrier. So it's essentially a one-stop communication shop. It's an A to Z list of content that's a bit like scripts um, for common healthcare topics that healthcare staff can use to guide their interaction with patients. And it's available in different languages, um, in easy read with pictures, um, sign language, read aloud. And then we also have an integrated translation tool. As always, it, it always feels like it covers an awful lot of ground, Cardmedic. So presumably there's an awful lot of people using it. Is that fair? Yeah, so it was... Um, We've had 50,000 users in 120 countries and 16,000 app downloads in the last year. So it's been uh, very much, well, first of all, it's been a surprise um, uh, because we didn't set out to start a business. Um, and, you know, second of all, the growth has been much faster than anticipated. So we've, you know, it's been quite a journey over the last year, that's for sure. Um, but and we've now got our first customer, which is Kent Surrey Sussex Air Ambulance, which we're very excited about. And we have got lots in the sales pipeline for customers for our subscription model and also um, for pilots as well. Can you tell me a bit about the story of how you, you set up Cardmedic? Yeah, definitely. So um, as I said, it was very unintentional. Um, I was on maternity leave last year, visiting family in the States where I used to live when I was younger. And uh, because of COVID, our flights were cancelled repeatedly. So we ended up there for nearly six months. But whilst we were out there in February or March time, um, when things were starting to kick off, particularly in the UK, we were UK was a bit ahead of the States at that point. Um, I read an article about a patient who'd been to intensive care with COVID and he was terrified because he just couldn't understand the healthcare staff through the PPE. So I was desperate to do something to help and thought, what are people doing? Are they writing notes on paper? How are they communicating with patients? This must be a real struggle. And I spoke to some friends who said it was. So I thought, well, what about if I 
essentially replicated those notes on a paper, but put them on a website um, and in an, in an A to Z list. So just made that content available, uh, common topics that people would be talking about and made it really easily accessible. So it was concept to launch in 72 hours. Uh, my husband was out there with me, has a background in e-commerce and he's done some web design stuff in the past. So built the website. I just wrote a load of content and between us, we put it online um, and then shared it with some friends. So uh, I thought, great, I can do, <laughs> done something to help, I hope. And then uh, put it online and someone within a couple of days said, oh, you, sh- you should join Twitter. I thought, I'm not sure. I'm not really into social media. I didn't know, not been on Twitter before and I wasn't sure how it helped, but shared it and just shared it with some friends. And then within three weeks, we had 8,000 users in 50 countries. It just gone a bit viral. And then we had some media coverage, which sent a lot of traffic to the site for a couple of weeks. It was a bit crazy and did some TV and radio and, and off the back of that have done some podcasts and webinars and lots of conferences and things. Um, And then, yes, the the user base has grown from there. But actually, through all of that, the feedback we were getting was Card Medic is such a useful tool that it needs to stay around after the pandemic. And as I know from my clinical experience, and now I'm back at in my NHS work in the last few weeks, um, actually, there are so many long-standing barriers to good communication in healthcare. So whether that's language, whether it's a learning disability, whether it's uh, visual impairment, literacy issues, deafness, cognitive impairment, stroke, dementia. And these are encountered every day in clinical practice. And despite the best will in the world, there is not enough budget to supply translators, signers, speech language therapists, learning disability nurses, to every single patient who needs it every single time they have any healthcare encounter. And that's where CardMedic comes in. So we're there to try and bridge these gaps in service provision that exist all over the place and that are there despite, you know, despite the resources and the budgets, it just, these spaces can't be filled and they can't be reached just by, you know, the existing resources alone. So we're just trying to support that and reach those gaps. Hence why we suddenly found ourselves in the scenario of, right, well, we now need to kind of pivot a little bit, make sure that this is accessible for absolutely everybody and set up a business so we can make it sustainable. I love the passion that comes through whenever I talk to you, Rachel, about kind of wanting to help and wanting to kind of make a difference for your, your clinical colleagues. Do you feel like you, you've managed to do that? Do you feel like, like, like it's, it's done what you wanted it to do? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we're still very much early in our journey. We've been doing it a year now. We've got, we're full of ideas. We've got so much to do. We're just launching the easy read and the sign language now. Um, But I think, I know people are, people are using this on the front line every day. So I definitely feel like it's made a difference, not just to the patients, but also to my colleagues, because they are able to deliver a standard of care to the patients that, that's, they want to try and deliver, but might not have the resources to on a daily basis. And, you know, just as an example, for me personally, three days ago, I was at work and had a patient who only spoke Russian and um, was initially translating through FaceTime to her daughter. She needed an emergency operation. The translator couldn't come into theatre with her, could only come so far. Uh, And so we had no one in theatre that 
speak her language. And I was able to use Carb Medic to then say to her, right, we're just attaching your monitoring and we're going to give you some oxygen and this is the medicine you're now going to go off to sleep. And she just had that reassuring voice and the information. I was able to play the content to her in Russian uh, at the bedside and just reassure her as she was drifting off to sleep. And that's just one example um, in my practice, you know, just happened to kind of crop up and it just, it, it happens on a daily basis in the NHS that there are these barriers. So, um, so yes, I, I, I hope that I'm helping people. I feel, you know, with the uptake that we've had that, that there's definitely a need for it for sure. So, so how many languages do you have now on, on Cardmedic? Oh gosh, it's growing and growing. So we, we had, uh, 11. I think we might have, uh, 13 now. Um, but the aim is we, we'd love to get about 30 languages on there. Um, and we're working with a group of, so we've got lots of people volunteering to do translations, which is amazing. One of whom is this amazing palliative care nurse, um, who, uh, is translating into Japanese. Um, we've got lots of, different volunteers from, you know, some people in Europe. We're working with refugees in Kenya, Kokuma Refugee Camp, um, through the Step Up One Foundation um, to translate into some um, languages indigenous to Africa, including Somali, Swahili, um, Amharic, um, Arabic. Uh, they, they, they can do about 11, I think 11, 12 languages between them. Um, and we've got, we're just translating into Welsh and we've got a team of people working on that as well, which is very exciting. Um, and of course, there are the different dialects that we need to account for as well and all these things. Um, so we're building our way quite rapidly towards 20 to 30 languages. Um, some of it's been done to so about half of it's been done by humans, volunteers and um language language connect volunteered their services as well and then the rest is machine translated which will then be translated by humans as well but it's such a big expense all these things cost so much money and the same for the sign language we've had people volunteering to do this british sign language videos um but we're now working with um inclusive fruit to do a, a kind of partnership where you know they can help support do the videos um, in different sign languages, um, kind of working together with us, because that, that is a huge expense, much more so than even the spoken languages. Mm, absolutely. But presumably it's an expense that the NHS is facing every day, every time they mm-hmm. need to do this for a patient. So exactly. by it in that way, then you're potentially saving lots of money for the service in the longer term. Yeah, that, that's what we hope. And we haven't got those metrics yet, but that's definitely something that we've modelled out. Um, and, the, you know, by no means would we want to or expect to replace translators or interpreters or signers. They're providing a vital service, but we just know there, are, there aren't the budgets to cover them all the time when they're needed. And so to try and bridge that gap and to potentially help the NHS streamline and they, you know, they may save costs in the process, that's fantastic because that can be re-diverted to other resources as well. So why did you choose a, a digital product? <laughs> yeah, great question. So I think it was a, a mixture. I think partly it was driven by we've got to create the solution really rapidly and we've got to get it into the hands of end users straight away. So that's the, the staff and the patients. It needs to be free. It needs to be accessible, intuitive, simple. Just pick it up and run with it. Um and they're in your pockets, literally in your pocket. And it was just the, the easiest, the quickest solution was make this digital. It also means you can, of course, reiterate and adapt it and grow it and scale it. 
Um, and it was also a combination of my husband's skill set being able to design websites means that um, he was able to build the website. And, and so between the two of us, with my skill set, with the content, and he was able to build a website, digital was just a very easy, simple solution. And then with software as a service as well, you haven't got all the kind of capital material startups of a shop and buying a product and building a product and all those sorts of things, which are much slower um, to, to launch and get out there. This was just instantaneous and um, definitely kind of made sense as a, as a really quick fix solution, but certainly going forwards makes it much more scalable. The content we can just, we are going to, and we can continue just to keep growing and growing and growing the content and the, the features and the functionality and the, the networks of users and sharing information we can integrate to electronic health records, which is in our roadmap. So there's, it's just got so much scope for development in terms of technology and also from a usability point of view. I think that's that's the case for a lot of digital innovations, isn't it? You know, that it is quick to set up and, um, you know, it's accessible to everyone. Everyone now has a, a pretty powerful computer in their pocket most of the time. Yeah. They're carrying their, their mobile phone around. It means that you can scale it to, to everyone at relatively minimal additional cost once you've set up that original database of, of, of information. And so I can see that it's a, a really nice way to, to kind of get this sort of thing into people's pockets and impact the, the most number of patients that you, you can. It must have been a bit of a whirlwind journey for you, though. You know, that sort of initial 72 hours, I imagine you didn't really sleep. And then <laughs> you're only like a year in. Um, you know, how has that felt for, for you personally? Exhausting. <laughs> to sum it up in one word, exhausting, uh, stressful, uh, emotional, but full of lots of highs as well. It's been a completely new experience. It's opened up a whole different part of my brain that I never knew existed. You know, I've always I've studied medicine. I've studied physiology before medicine. I'm very kind of science-based and on a career path, never had a, a plan or ambition to start a business. But my husband, we've been together 20 years and he was very much, um, you know, he's run businesses for 15 years. It's his comfort zone. So he's kind of coming at it from a very different angle. It's definitely has lots of lots of highs. I think the lows are, are primarily just the exhaustion, just not getting enough sleep. We also have three children under five um, and a dog. So it's just kind of the whole work-life balance goes out the window from it. Um, and it's very much work, work, work. So I think it, it depends. You know, you, you, if you had no children, you'd be doing this flat out. If you've got children, you're doing it flat out. So uh, it's just, it's kind of nonstop. Um, it's definitely been exciting as well to meet so many new people to realize that although I felt very much like an imposter at the beginning of all of this and still you know sometimes do you think I've not had formal training and you know what do I know about being in the business world but but actually feeling like over the last year kind of gaining my confidence and speaking to investors and speaking to um, you know networking with other businesses and speaking to hospitals and things and thinking actually with the training that you know some of the training I've had over the last year it's given me the confidence to do that so yeah I think personally it's been an incredible unexpected wonderful exhausting journey <laughs> in summary. How, how does it fit with your view of yourself as a clinician and kind of your your clinical work I mean it must be a, a bit of a tension sort of having the children having your clinical work having the the, the business I mean that's a lot lot to handle isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. I think 
the pandemic has definitely been a really strange time to do all of this. I think in some ways it's opened a lot of doors. Um, but in other ways, we've had the children at home for the last 18 months. They've been at home for 15 of those months. And during that whole time, we've been doing card medic. So it's been a massive juggle. Um, and I was actually really quite apprehensive about going back to work and starting my clinical job because I thought, how am I going to balance this out? But now the children are back at nursery and I'm doing my clinical work, actually, I'm able to focus on carb medic a bit more because the children are at home less. Um, and through my clinical work, it's actually a massive asset, I think, being on the shop floor, because you're, you've still massively got your finger in the pulse. And if you're speaking to investors, for example, they really want someone in the team, ideally, of course you know the founders the co-founders to have you know that deep sector knowledge to say i'm living and breathing this every day this is what i do for my work i'm networked into and, and medicine's a relatively small world or healthcare is a relatively small world so the network that you get from your colleagues that might know people in other hospitals and i think there's a certain amount of respect when you're speaking to hospitals for example if you can say to them you know, I'm not coming in to sell you a product that I don't know the realities of its application. If you're coming in saying, I'm, I am a frontline healthcare professional. So I'm kind of, you're walking the walk and talking the talk, so to speak. So you're able to sell with credibility as well. So I, I said to my husband and my family, I said, at the moment, going to work feels like a hobby, you know, so it's almost relaxing. It's like, I can just focus on my job. And I am talking about car medic whilst I'm there and finding out people's um, you know, opinions and experiences of working with patients who have communication needs, because it all is definitely corroborating what we're doing, um, supporting what we're doing, that we have actually got a solution for a very real problem out there. And some people come up with ideas for stuff, you know, good ideas to help enhance it. So I actually think it's an asset to be clinical and run a business as well. It just takes a lot of juggling. I think that's always the case really with with entrepreneurship that the more you understand the problem the better you are able to address it with your products and obviously if you're you know frontline healthcare professional who is experiencing that problem in their their daily work and has colleagues who are experiencing it and as you say that network of people then I think it's it makes it very real doesn't it and it means that you can immediately test out any of your assumptions on yourself or your colleagues or or anyone yeah. you know around um and and I think you're, you're right as well you know it, that there's a certain respect that comes with that and it's very well deserved I think because you know you do know what you're talking about because because you do have that experience mm, I just think it's the credibility isn't it to to say yes I'm not I, yes I I do I live and breathe this every day so um I'm very happy to talk to all of these points because I know the realities of my experience over the last decade and that of my colleagues and here's an example I can give you from three days ago or here's an example I can give you from a week ago or here's an example of my colleagues from within the last couple of weeks and you know everywhere you look you've got real live examples going on all around you um and and, and like you said it's a great testing ground as well because I can take carb medic in and use it and say oh actually we we need this feature or it'll work better if we do this and until you're actually there embedded and engrossed in that environment it's really hard to just sit in your office or sit at home and, and do the testing um, and run testing scripts you really need to be kind of live in the environment doing the testing and I think that helps with the rapid iterations as well it does absolutely 
I think you're uh, you're now very much talking the talk um, when it comes to entrepreneurship, Rachel. But, but I think you said yourself that, you know, right at the beginning, you might have felt a bit of an imposter and kind of very much new to the, this world. What, what sort of support have you had along the way to develop yourself as, as a business leader? I think it's come from all different angles. I think, of course, you know, family is very fundamental to all of this, that the kind of home life support from my husband. I think the pandemic has been tricky because from a childcare perspective, if nothing else, it's been hard not having the grandparents around for a lot of it. But I think family, um, friends, of course. But uh, I think there's the other kind of bits of support along the way are um, having an amazing team. I think that's really important. I've got fantastic um, team around me and that makes a huge difference. And then along the way, I was thinking, how am I, you know, how am I going to develop myself as a business person and came across uh the hill of course and uh, applied for that and that was an a, a very kind of unexpected last minute someone had read about the uh, card medic in the guardian was a social worker got in contact to say oh have you thought about this and that and oh by the way my son's studying medicine at oxford would you like to have a chat with him which i did he was fantastic and said oh you must apply for the hill um and that i think was the day before your applications closed and i kind of quickly um thought i must do this put in an application was so lucky to get a place on the course and that was an absolutely immense amount i mean that that really shaped me it just took me from being someone with zero business knowledge I'd absorbed about two percent from my husband over the last 20 years because he obviously does business um but yeah taking you know clinician with no business knowledge at all not particularly digit digitally literate um certainly never thought of myself as running a, a digital health company into suddenly kind of immersed into a world of thinking about the structure of the NHS and uh, procurement and sales cycles and business business spiel and jargon and pitching to investors and pitch decks and business plans and you know all these incredible sort of sources um, and resources and uh, lectures that you give and your training days and it just took me a, a massive leap from where I was at the beginning to right I can hold a conversation with an investor now or I can hold a conversation with a hospital or I can um, be conversant in all of these different spaces and I'm now on the NHS clinical entrepreneur program which which is fab but the the grounding that the hill has given me it means I'm getting a lot more out of that program as well I've been given such a massive head start and so the hill has just been completely pivotal actually in the last year for me and and of course the extra sessions that you do outside of that and then I did the open uh, API interoperability boot camp through the hill which was also fab very technical um so thank thank heavens i had a um someone a developer and so i think the hill has just been totally pivotal to to card medic and to the success so far um and then other kind of things along the way the department for international trade have been brilliant um as well they've been they're kind of like matchmakers they, they're they a really great network and they've been very supportive and put us on their digital health export offer and in their top 25 ones to watch list for international expansion which is very exciting so the DIT they, they've been really good um the academic health sciences network knowledge transfer networks I've tapped into those uh they're also really useful resources um the University of Brighton and Brighton and Sussex University Hospitals NHS Trust um uh, have also been really really helpful and supportive been doing some research and service evaluation stuff and um as well and kind of got us up and running with things so uh so yeah lo lots of 
um, lots of different people along the way. In terms of the team itself, um, my brother-in-law is an account- accountant, so he's our interim CFO. I've had lots of volunteers and the speech and language therapists from all across the UK who never met and learning disability nurses, got students, advisors from the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists, the signers we're working with, the volunteer translators, all these amazing people have come together and volunteered their time um, to help shape Card Medic. And obviously the developers we're working with, um, Fatfish Digital, have been brilliant. Um, and so I think it's just kind of all come together into this package. But the thing that really took me from clinician to clinical entrepreneur slash businesswoman has been the hill in you know over the last year and then I'm now continuing that journey being on the NHS clinical entrepreneur program and I'm sure a lot of that is down to 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 you personally but I'm wondering if you might be able to offer some advice to this year's market access accelerator which was of course the first program you you did with us Rachel and how would you advise that they get the most out of the program yeah, well, first of all, if you, if you got onto the programme, congratulations, because I think this has been the most competitive year yet. Um, and it's a brilliant programme. You're in for a great ride. Um, and I think probably my, my best bits of advice would be attend all the sessions and listen, absorb, just be there, absorb, listen to all the, um, the sessions, the advice and ask lots and lots of questions, because that's the only way you're going to learn. And follow the advice you're given. It should be very relevant to what you're doing, the kind of no matter what stage of business you're at. But if you think, oh, how can I, you know, how can I make this relevant to, to what I'm doing? Ask lots of questions and make the most of your mentorship. I think one of your golden kind of nuggets at the hill is your amazing team of mentors. Um, and I think that's one of your superpowers. So I think the, the participants and the candidates to get the most out of it go to all the sessions and really, really make the most of your mentor sessions because they are absolutely invaluable. Um, and I think, yeah, just, just being, being a bit of an open book to it all, just going in, no preconceived ideas about what it's like to be involved in business or um, the kind of business person you, you know, you think you should be, or just go and be an open book and just absorb it all. Um, and then also use it as a really great networking opportunity and follow up on stuff as well. Cause there's some of the speakers, I mean, all the speakers you have on a fab, but you know, some of them are, are so experienced, especially around procurement and all that sort of stuff. So I think follow up with the speakers afterwards, make connections on LinkedIn, arrange meetings off your own back with them. Um, a, a lot of it, although you, put the course on and you provide the speakers and you create this amazing atmosphere for everyone to network. There is a lot that you have to do as well off your own back of that was a great session at the Hill today. I really loved the talk from that person, that person, they will totally link into what I'm doing and be able to support me. So make the, put in the effort to follow that up and actually make connections on LinkedIn and Twitter or ask for their email details and send them a follow-up email. And, um, and I think that's how you, make the most out of networking and also with the other candidates on the course because you might find you could create a partnership with someone else that they'd complement what you're doing um so so yeah just get immersed get being fully engaged absorb it all and make the most of the networking and the mentorship I think that's a, a really good summary of exactly what I saw you doing, Rachel, because I think you've been, uh, you're certainly a, a networker extraordinary. <laughs> you've reached out to all sorts of different people and has, I think, some from what I've heard from you, some fantastic conversations and a lot of really positive support. 
from from people I've, I've been really lucky actually um yes I, it's been amazing what's come out of it definitely and I think people you don't want to hassle people of course um and when you're doing a startup you work you're working all hours of the day and night so to be honest you don't have time to even hassle people you'd send one email maybe two or a LinkedIn message or something and if you don't hear back then either you keep trying or you're just you're on to the next thing because you're just too busy and everyone's just too busy so um so yeah it's a fine line but I think just try and try and make the most out of it and out of all the opportunities yeah and I think what I've seen of of the digital health ecosystem is that um you know there's an awful lot of people out there who are interested in making this work you know everyone wants to make lives better for staff better for patients and want these technologies to really make our healthcare better I'm wondering Rachel because I'm conscious that we need to to wrap up soon, but I'm wondering about your just just your sort of general advice to clinical staff members out there who are thinking of pursuing an idea. Because I guess one of the things I think people find quite difficult is going from doing a purely clinical role or or clinical training um, to then thinking about um, I want to solve this problem. You know, maybe that that the the solution doesn't necessarily exist within the organisation or within um, the technology that I have available. So maybe I'll create something. And then going from from kind of having that problem statement and that idea and that passion to solve the problem to actually becoming a clinical entrepreneur, it feels sometimes like quite a big leap. What do you think people should do first to start on that journey? It's a a big journey, isn't it? It's a big step to take. I think um, I think key key to a lot of it is making sure and you already touched on this, that your solution is solving a problem. I think that's number one is just you might come up with an idea. You think, this is absolutely fantastic. I love this. This is going to help so many people. It's brilliant. And then you think, actually, what problem am I trying to solve here? Does it actually exist? Or is it one that I've sort of twisted in my head a bit to fit my solution? So don't waste your time on a solution that's not solving an actual problem. So part of that will be, as a clinician, you'll, like you said, you'll, you'll probably already know what the problem is and what the solutions are or are not there. So you probably won't um, have that so much as a hurdle, but it's just to make sure you do a little bit of market research. What's out there? What's the competition look like? Or is there no competition at all? Um, just to try and work out what's your kind of product market fit. Where does your idea slot into what's out there currently? So making sure that before you take spend loads of time and effort exploring this that actually your solution is a genuine solution to a genuine problem um then my personality is i love to plan i love to be organized and if i'd have thought about setting up a business i probably would have spent six months writing a business plan and getting all my stationery together and creating folders on my computer and doing all of this sort of stuff um but actually i think the reality is you kind of just need to crack on and do it Um, rather than getting too bogged down in all of that side of things. You don't need a business plan to get started with this stuff. You just, you've got your idea. You've got a bit of basic market research under your belt. Is this going to work? And then just get started. And part of just getting started is also making sure if you can, you've got maybe a co-founder or awesome people and team around you. 
So if you've got someone else you're working with that you think, I don't have this skill set, but they do, let's be co-founders together and set something up. Um, because the, the having a good team is really key to your success. And I think everyone will tell you that wherever you go, you can have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have the right team around you, it's not going to be successful. So I think it's, yeah, just making sure that your, your solution has is answering a genuine problem, not getting too bogged down in all the detail, just getting started because then you reiterate, reiterate, and you kind of develop as you go um, and making sure you've got a team of really great people. Um, and then underpinning all of that is just making sure it's something you're passionate about because it does take over your life. <laughs> so making sure that it's something you're willing to only have four hours sleep a night for, for months and months and year on end um, because it is all consuming. So yeah, that's probably my best advice to people doing startups. Yeah, I kind of, I obviously didn't intend to ever, I was a bit, I feel a bit of an accidental entrepreneur. So I didn't ever intend to start a business. So I just kind of went into it without thinking, without planning. Um, and it's just kind of evolved rapidly from there. So not my usual style, but um, I think there's something to be said for that, for not overthinking it, just getting on with it. Just get on with it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great crack on. Place. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think that's a, a great place to, to end, Rachel, although I have to say that whether you were talking about a business or your family or your clinical work or anything else, I'm pretty sure that you would be passionate about it and you'd probably be putting putting in uh, extensive hours to try and do the best you could. So um, so, so perhaps it's just uh, our, our fortune that you've just <laughs> made that into entrepreneurship. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you ever so much for, for joining me today, Rachel. It's been fantastic to talk to you as always. And uh, thank you ever so much for, uh, for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. So we've been listening to Rachel Grimaldi, who's CEO and co-founder of Card Medic and also an NHS anaesthetist and entrepreneur extraordinaire, as I'm sure you will agree, having listened to that interview. If you'd like any help with your digital health innovation, do reach out to us here at The Hill at www.thehilloxford.org or come and speak to a member of our, of our team or indeed perhaps apply for our accelerator next year. Thank you ever so much for listening. <laughs>